Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Friday, March the 23rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins are back at it in free agency once again. Frank Gore is going to end his career where it all began in Miami. He signs a one-year contract with the Miami Dolphins. We'll discuss his impact on the running back position, and Adam Gaze is bringing in a familiar face, to potentially back up quarterback Ryan Tannehill, we'll dissect what Brock Osweiler's visit means for the Dolphins quarterback room, and we'll get to your Twitter questions. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have a Frank Gore piece up there right now. You guys can go ahead and check that out. And, of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. But for today's show, we're going to be talking mostly offense on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins And the big news item of the day is that Frank Gore is signed, sealed, and delivered for the Miami Dolphins. He signs a one-year contract to come back to the place where it all began at the University of Miami almost two decades ago. This is going to be his 14th year in the NFL. He started back in 2005, his last three years with the Indianapolis Colts, where he has actually been kind of a workhorse. He is now going to be 34 years old going into the season, but the last three years hasn't missed a game. As a matter of fact, you go back six years, he has not missed a game. He has carried the ball 261, 263, 260, 255, 276, and on and on and on. He carries the ball about 240 to 260 times every single year. I don't think that'll be the case for the Dolphins here. I think what you have is a case where a running back comes in And it's nothing different than what DeMarco Murray was going to be, a guy that can give you flexibility in terms of running the entire playbook when he's on the field. He is the direct backup to Kenyon Drake, not a spell or a compliment, but a backup, a guy that can give him a break when he needs one coming to the game and give you the full compliment of the entire offensive playbook, whether it's from pass protection, running plays from a running back standpoint, pass catching out of the backfield. Frank Gore can do all that for you. And Pro Football Focus actually kind of likes the year he had in 2017. He had 35 forced missed tackles and 659 yards after contact, both ranked 10th in the entire NFL. So he's definitely a guy that's going to be reliable and dependable despite the insanely high age for a running back can come in and give Kenyon Drake a breather like we mentioned at any point. And also the flexibility he allows you to have in terms of drafting a running back in that middle round of the middle portion of the draft on day two, possibly early day three. And there are quite a few running backs in that range that you like a lot. Starting in the first round, I don't think you're going to take a running back at pick 11, but if the Dolphins can trade back and they do really like Darius Geis as much as they say they do from LSU, the physical kind of do-it-all type running back that is much like I just talked about Frank Gore, but much younger version of him, obviously, that's a guy you could trade back in the first round for. Or if you want to stay put at pick 42 and go running back, possibly Sony Michelle from Georgia, maybe Nick Chubb in that range too. It depends on what's going to happen with the draft class and how it falls because there's a just a glut of guys I think you can kind of choose from at the third round spot, pick 73. 
three. Or if, like I said, if you acquire another pick and trade back, you can look for a running back there too. Guys, I like a lot. Like I said, Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, both the Georgia guys, the highest tandem of rushing yards all time in a school history between two running backs. And then Kalen Balazs, the Arizona State guy, talked about him a lot in the mock draft yesterday. Big, tall guy. Doesn't run very low or with a low pad level, and he didn't have the great production at Arizona State, but he's a flexible guy, can do it all like I've talked about a million times. Royce Freeman out of Oregon, he is a big load of a guy to tackle, and he often has defensive backs making business decisions in the secondary when they try to tackle him. And then Jalen Samuels talked about him a lot too, kind of a Swiss army knife, a Charles Clay type. I don't know if you're going to call him a running back or a tight end at the next level, but he can do a little bit of both, do some wildcat stuff, some jet sweep, misdirection, all that good stuff that you like in the wrinkles of the offense that Adam Gaze ran last year, late in the year at certain times. So definitely a bunch of running backs you can kind of fit in there. If Frank Gore can kind of come in and be what Arian Foster was, maybe even a little bit better version of that, obviously Arian Foster didn't work out because he only played six games. But if you can bridge the gap from a, for a rookie from game one up until like game six or seven or so, or however long it takes that rookie to get acclimated, that just kind of buys you a little bit more time to get your kind of thunder lightning with Kenyon Drake and the backup rookie running back that you will eventually draft come the end of April here in about five weeks. So Frank Gore just allows you to not change the offense when Kenyon Drake needs a breather and doesn't make you rely on a rookie running back. We talked about it on the show with DeMarco Murray's potential signing and how they had to have a veteran guy, a guy that's going to be able to come in and you don't have to worry about him from an assignment standpoint. And that's what Frank Gore will be. Obviously also a good mentor for the rest of the guys and kind of can impart some of his wisdom on the rest of the team. I'm not a big believer in that type of thing. I think that most guys sign to play football and to collect money, not to teach. That's not part of the job or part of the contract. But obviously with the culture change, I'm sure I'm sure that idea was floated to Frank Gore. And I'm sure he embraced it and maybe he'll be a running backs coach someday or maybe he'll stick around that organization someday in the future as we've seen several players from the past Come hang out with Adam Gaze and Davey at practice. So Frank Gore, the fifth all-time leading rusher, signs with the Miami Dolphins. He will back up Kenyon Drake as the Dolphins prepare to possibly draft a running back pretty early on in April's draft. We have more to talk about on the offensive side of the football, including another breakdown of the quarterback position and talking about a potential signing there. Next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkle NFL at Locked On Fins. And with Frank Gore in-house, the next move to talk about is a quarterback visiting today on Friday, March the 23rd, in the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It is none other than Brock Osweiler played with Adam Gaze with the Denver Broncos when he went 5-2 and two in replacement of Peyton Manning before Manning came back and, I guess, pushed the cart over the finish line for the Super Bowl for the Denver Broncos that year. Basically came back into the lineup for Brock Osweiler, who was worse than Peyton Manning was that year, which is saying a whole lot. I mean, his stats weren't as bad. His production was probably some of the best he's had in his NFL career in terms of passer rating, but even still, he just has never been a good player. He got the huge contract from the Houston Texans after that, gets traded unceremoniously to the Cleveland Browns with a draft pick to take the salary off their hands. A very, very crazy non-NFL-like trade that that was, and now he gets cut from the Cleveland Browns and he's looking for a job, and I think maybe the possibility of signing him to a or a veteran minimum contract or a very low dollar amount contract just to kind of, I mean, hopefully he's a little bit more humbled now after the whole fail experiment of being an actual starter, an actual viable, one of the big 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, so to speak. So I think that if they can get him on something like that, if they can get him on a cheap deal, it gives you like, just like the running back position, gives you a little bit of protection going into the draft in a case of a scenario where they can't find a quarterback. That's going to be a tough spot for the Dolphins to find a quarterback. I've talked about it. You're not going to get one at 11. I don't think 42 is in play either because I think Lamar Jackson and Mason Rudolph are the only guys viable for you at that spot. And I think both will be gone. So all six quarterbacks that are really 
in my opinion, worth a backup quarterback job right away immediately are those two guys. The other ones across the league are going to have to kind of earn it and develop a little bit more, whether it's Luke Falk, Kyle Lawletta, Mike White, or even later on in the draft with Logan Woodside or Brandon Silvers, whoever it might be, you're really developing a guy for two to three years down the line to maybe be the backup at that point. So this gives the Dolphins a little bit of protection. It gives David Fells another arm to compete against in camp. You know, I don't think David Fells, anybody was really happy with that. I talked about going to Fells in kind of an emergency situation and just kind of playing out the season and and kind of punting the season, so to speak, if Tannehill were to go down. And much like the way it does with Frank Gore, this just gives you a guy that knows the playbook and knows the system and is a guy that Adam Gaze has worked with before. So we'll see if they get a contract done. I can't imagine it'll be for anything significant money-wise, but could be potentially bad news for Brandon Dowdy, who if they go with Brock Osweiler and they draft somebody, there's no way he's going to have a chance to even get to August on the roster. So possible bad news for a former Western Kentucky quarterback could be interesting if they take Mike White, his successor at Western Kentucky in the draft. So It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. And while the backup position is rather hazy at the moment, the starting quarterback is definitely entrenched, and it's going to be Ryan Tannehill again. If you guys go to LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, the most visited site on the entire network of websites there for every team that covers the NFL. We have a piece up right now talking about Ryan Tannehill and his ACL injury and kind of some other guys that have experienced similar injuries. Obviously, the ACL is pretty popular. If Teddy Bridgewater is the opening day starter in New York, which I, you know, he possibly could be over Josh McCown, we'll see what happens there, even though the Jets have said otherwise. That would give exactly one quarter of the NFL starting quarterbacks having a previous ACL injury with three of those guys coming back this year, obviously Tannehill, Carson Wentz, and Deshaun Watson. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with those three guys as they come back. As Tannehill went down in August, Wentz was in December, and Watson was in October. So at three different times, three different periods, Tannehill's progress is coming along greatly. I did some research on the piece last night and kind of found some quotes. We all knew about Adam Gaze talking about him being a physical freak back at the Combine. You go back to December in Buffalo, I guess, that Clyde Christensen saw Ryan Tannehill doing you know those things where you bring your knees up to your hands while jumping up into the air and kind of bringing them back down forcefully onto the ground. So you're trying to stay warm by doing that, but it kind of just shows you how much strength and reliability he has in those knees coming back from the knee injury so it looks like Ryan Tannehill going to be okay and I the article basically just says that I wouldn't worry about him getting injured any more than any other quarterback in the NFL or any other player in the NFL obviously crazy hits can happen that's exactly what happened with Clayus Campbell Ryan Tannehill had 79 games consecutively started in his NFL career to begin his NFL career before that hit despite being the most hit quarterback in the NFL for that time span. So he's definitely a very durable guy. The fact that people are calling him injury prone now is a little bit ignorant. I just don't like hearing that because he was such a steady, you know, dependable quarterback for so long until that bad hit below the knee that really no one could have staved off. It's kind of like the Tom Brady hit, obviously, that Calais Campbell put on him. So he's coming back. He's going to be the starting quarterback, the backup position. Anyone's guess at this point, we'll see what happens with Brock Osweiler. But we have more to get to in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, the Twitter mailbag, your guys' questions. I think I got 14 of them coming up. I'm going to get to all of those here next on Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Winkville NFL at Lockdown Fins. And the bills are all paid, and the week is almost all finished. Let's go ahead and finish out this week with a Twitter mailbag and get to your guys' questions here. First one off the top is actually my graphics guide, Lee, at Lee Top Landing. He asks, do you think the Dolphins may be looking to play Quinn as a linebacker? And this is maybe a reason why they haven't looked at linebacker in free agency. And then Vita Vey as kind of an Indomitian Sioux replacement. As far as the linebacker and Robert Quinn, I don't think so. His traditional spot back with the St. Louis Rams when he was his best was at a 4-3 defensive end and a very similar defense to the one the Dolphins are playing now. So I think he's definitely going to be a defensive end. I think that kind of the pause at linebacker 
And I'm not saying I agree with this, but I can definitely see a scenario where the Dolphins look at their linebacker roster and actually kind of like what they see. I know that kind of sounds bad, but obviously Rayquan McMillan, we all like what he possibly could bring to the table for the Dolphins in his first year as a pro. He got injured in his rookie year, coming back this year with a knee injury. Kiko Alonso, I think they still, for whatever reason, they still have a role in mind for him. And I don't think you're going to get out of all those snaps, at least replacing 100% of his snaps going forward. So he's probably going to be in the mix. Stephon Anthony, a guy that gave up a fifth round pick for, I mean, you don't trade that mid season unless you have a plan for a guy so I'd like to think they do have a plan for him and then Chase Allen was a decent Sam linebacker option last year at times so possibly thinking they have something there but then again you know you mentioned the linebackers in the draft there's a couple of guys that pick number 11 that could be day one starters and possibly even nickel sub package guys too and Jermaine Edmonds Roquan Smith and I'm still very very high on Rashawn Evans so we can see what happens with the position there as far as Vita Vey being a Dominican Sue replacement Absolutely. I think that's exactly what you'd go for there with either he or Deron Payne. Next question comes from another Lockdown Dolphins guy, Kadeem Simmons, at Kadeem Simmons. He writes for us at LockdownDolphins.com. In the worst case scenario, the RT goes down during the season and Miami goes 4-12. and Do you think that Gaze would be given the opportunity to draft a quarterback in 2019? Or do you think the team looks for a new head coach as early as 2019? I do not think that Adam Gaze is anywhere near the hot seat. I think you could almost consider... 2018, like his rookie year in a sense, in terms of job security, because obviously he had the great playoff year that bought him, you know, a couple of years of a leash right there alone. He loses his quarterback last year, still manages to go six and 10 with some very, very bad quarterback play. And I think that if something were to happen to Tannehill, you definitely would be in the quarterback market next year. And then it would kind of just be like restarting the whole thing over, possibly changing over personnel decision makers. But Adam Gaze is not going anywhere. Next question comes from Noodlehand2 at Two Hand Noodles. It's a great handle and name. Any idea or word on uniform change? didn't they say there would be a slight change this year yeah they said it was so slight that you wouldn't even be able to recognize it I'm thinking maybe possibly take the Miami tramp stamp off the butt there maybe add a little bit of orange or blue to the uniform I'm not really sure what they'll do or if it's going to be even enough for us to notice it on game days Next question comes from Greg Larson at GSL Now. The Finns are intent on bringing old running backs to back up Drake. Why do you think that's the case? And why not draft a promising rookie with multiple talents? I guess I probably should have read this before the show, Greg, and I do apologize. I already answered it, obviously. Talking about how you kind of buy yourself a little bit of time to go forward with Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake before the rookie gets acclimated. If you guys watched the Hard Knocks, or not Hard Knocks, excuse me, All or Nothing back in 2015 with the Arizona Cardinals and the way they handled David Johnson in his rookie year and how Bruce Arians kind of said, I got to get him more acclimated to the system. I don't want this success going to his head kind of think about it like that like guys don't want to rely on rookies especially guys that aren't like you know a Leonard Fournette or Ezekiel Elliott or Todd Gurley one of those high high draft picks so you probably want to get a second third fourth rounder more acclimated first before you just throw them into the fire next question comes from Mike at M Grande 0311 Roquan Smith in the first and a late round defensive tackle or Vita Vea in the first and Shaquem Griffin in round two or three that is a absolutely fantastic question I'm going to go with option number two Vita Vea and Shaquem Griffin I just I've cannot be more pumped about what Shaquem Griffin is as a player and as a young man he is just everything you want to be I think he fits everything the Dolphins have been trying to sell about their plan this year to get more veteran leadership to get more guys dedicated to the game of football that care more about football than anything else and then Vita Vea is just a freaking stud he's on my top five list in the overall draft to begin with so I think if you can pick 11 that's great value at a position of deed next question comes from Steve C at Stevie Splash 11 chances of McDonald being moved to linebacker and passing downs if we draft James or Bailey later on I think you might mean Bates I'm thinking Jesse Bates the free safety out of Florida State but Yeah, they're definitely going to have to get a dime safety. And I think that when you do that, it gives you ultimate flexibility, both with Rashad Jones and McDonald, because you can kind of move either of those guys around, possibly the money linebacker position, much in the way that D'Amo Buchanan gets played for the Arizona Cardinals, former Washington State Coug, go Cougs there. And 
if you do get someone that can do that, it just basically impacts your third and long passing situations in terms of getting onto the field in those sub packages when you, you know, because there are so many plays last year where Kiko Alonso was going out wide to cover a tight end or a running back split out wide. You don't want that. You can get McDonald over there covering that guy and then still have your safety play in the middle of the field. So I think absolutely moving one of those guys to a nickel linebacker role is definitely in the cards. Next question comes from Burr Cheesy, at Burr Cheesy, nice and easy. I'm a big Tannehill guy, but the Dolphins have shown a lot of interest in Mayfield. Do you think Gaze would want to trade up to get him? I don't think the Dolphins have the ammunition to go up. If they want to go up in the draft, it's going to take the pick four, in my opinion, because I think Baker Mayfield doesn't get past pick four, whether it's organically to the Jets at three, or if someone trades up beyond that to number four, whether it's Buffalo or maybe Arizona comes all the way up. The Dolphins don't have the draft capital to do that, and they don't have, they just don't have the, the necessary means to go ahead and do it because look at how much it t- costs the Jets to go from six to three. Third, three second round draft picks. The Dolphins are going to have to give up this year's first, next year's first, possibly 2020's first. A, definitely a second round pick in there somewhere. Probably another. Th- it's just going to be so many picks to go up that high to get him. So I just cannot see it happening, especially with how much Adam Gase has been talking about Ryan Tannehill all offseason. And I totally believe it because he has made the entire offense around Ryan Tannehill now. Next question comes from the King of Snails at or at the King of Snails. His name is just a dolphin icon. 100% honest prediction of Tannehill's stats next year. Oh boy, really put my feet to the fire. Let's work backwards from a efficiency standpoint in terms of percentages. So in Ryan Tannehill's career before the 2016 season, when he went down with an injury, he was right around 600 passes every single year, 587, 590, 593. So almost 600 passes every year. So based on 600 passes, I've talked about on the podcast before, I think he's going to complete a high percentage of passes because the Dolphins are going to be a short passing game, rhythm passing game with very reliable receivers underneath. So 68% completions means 408 completions for on 600 attempts. And if you give him a 7.2 yards per clip, that's lower than his 2016 average, but I think the Dolphins' offense will be a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. They'll they'll have guys that can make big plays down the field like Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson, but it's going to be more of a short passing game and controlling the time and and tempo of the game. So if you go 7.2 yards per throw on 600, that's 4,320 yards. And then a touchdown percentage, I think 5% is a number he wants to be at. Now in 2016, he was at 4.9, so we'll go up a tenth of a percent there. That gives him 30 touchdown passes. And then interceptions, I'll have him go back to a 2% interception rate where he was in 2014 and 2015. So 2% out of 600 throws is 12 picks. So I have 408 completions on 600 attempts. That's 68% passer. 4,320 yards. That's 7.2 yards per attempt. 30 touchdown passes. That's 5% of his throws for touchdowns. And 12 interceptions. That's 2% of his throws. I think he's going to have a very safe plan for him this year. Not going to turn the ball over a lot. Remember, his he's thrown 12 picks each of the last three years he played. Obviously, 2016 had fewer throws. That percentage was up a little bit there. But definitely a low turnover guy, a good efficient guy, good yards per attempt guy going forward. So definitely a good season for Ryan Tannehill coming up in 2018. All right, next question comes from David Simpson at Sensi27. Defensive tackle or linebacker, biggest need for pick number one. If DT, Vita Vey, or Deron Payne in play, would Payne be a better fit for our defense? I don't really worry about the fit because I think both guys can do multiple things in terms of playing the zero or the one or the three technique and be any part of the defensive line there and give you a good pass rush. I think linebackers are a bigger need right now because the Dolphins have some good depth in Devon Gacha, Jordan Phillips, and Vincent Taylor, but they're going to have to find someone. But linebacker, it just depends so much on what you get out of Rayquan McMillan and Kiko Alonso. So I'll say, I'll say linebackers are a bigger need right now, but I can definitely see where they would go defensive tackle in the draft. Next question comes from J.D. Young at my fry hole. What is the path that you see for the Dolphins' defense to improve? 
two areas they really got to get better at, and that's third down defense and red zone defense and just having better matchup pieces. So I think whether you go with Derwin James or possibly a linebacker in that first round with Tremaine Edmonds, you got to get better matchup pieces to go ahead and help them in coverage down there because they got killed by tight ends. They got killed in the red zone, and third and long was way too easy for defenses. So better matchup pieces, better third down and red zone defense. Next question comes from Sean Mawiney, and that's at Swamini. What are the safest Dolphins jersey purchases at the moment? That is a tough question. I am out of the jersey purchasing game, but probably at this moment, I would say Kenny Stills isn't really going anywhere anytime soon. Both a contributor on the field and a great guy off the field in the community. So definitely Kenny Stills on the offense. I still think Ryan Tannehill is going to be here for a long time, so I would go with him as well. And then defensively, let's go ahead and say that Bobby McCain going into a contract year is pretty risky, but I think the Dolphins will probably get him locked up, so he could be a good one to go. And 28 always looks good on Jersey, in my opinion. So Stills, Tannehill, McCain, I guess, are the safest ones. Not really a whole lot of safe options on there. And the last question comes from Joshua Saldino, at jsaldino24. Convince me we need Vey over a top linebacker. Seems like we could find a large, cheap vet later round guy that just eats blocks. Isn't linebacker more of an impact position? The reason it's not is because as a rookie, so... One comparison I saw from C.K. Parrott, talk about him all the time on the podcast, was talking about how Roquan McMillan compares favorably to Deion Jones, the linebacker that Atlanta Falcons had as a rookie when they went to the Super Bowl two years ago, and he's more of a linebacker that can go sideline to sideline and do well in coverage, and if you have a guy like that, he might not be a three-down thumper, so maybe he's only a 50 or 60% part-time player there, so I don't necessarily agree with that, but you can see where the argument can become that you might not play linebacker. I think Tremaine Edmonds gives you the best opportunity to play 100% of the snaps, which is what you would like from one of the top linebackers that you have to play every snap and never leave the field. So I just think that Vita Vey and Deron Payne are both great players. I think Vita Vey, like I said, one of my top five players on my board. Tremaine Edmonds is right behind him there. And then Roquan Smith kind of falls back off that list a little bit. So I just think that the, the value is better and the ability to kind of replenish that defensive line on the interior and make it a young, dominant group all on cheap contracts right now could be a big option for the Dolphins going forward. So... That will do it for the Twitter mailbag, and that will do it for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, wrapping up the week here on a busy week with the Miami Dolphins. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, guys. Leave us a rating and review, and check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins, and follow our flagship program at Locked On NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday for another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.